Hello, everybody, and welcome to Radio Podcast Episode 19. I'm your host, Diana, and I'm joined this week, as every week, by Robert. Say hi, Rob. Hi, Rob. You told me to say hi, Rob. What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to do something different? Am I supposed to say hi? Then you tell me you were supposed to say hi, Rob. I, I can't get this right. What? You're looking at me like that. Don't. I'm gonna put. Don't, I'm gonna put a sign on your head that says the, "Rob the Pennant." Pennant. Put pedant. Pedant. <laughs> I, now you're gonna make me enunciate. Do you know uh, what time it is? Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, at least you don't put the nun in enunciate. Put down that stick. Put down that stick. <laughs> Ow! Put down that stick. No! Ow! Can we? Welcome to episode 19. Would you stop that? Top stories. Uh, Flint updates. Hey, everybody. Uh, so we've left you guys hanging the last couple of weeks, and we're sorry about that. But it looks like while we are not reporting, there has been an outbreak of Legionnaire's disease in Flint. Legionnaire's is a severe type of pneumonia that is generally contracted from still water sources that then feed over into other water sources. Is that correct? Yeah, basically, um, there's a bacteria that multiplies in still water and the bacteria then um, infests the water and it's contracted by inhaling the bacteria in actually in particulates so the water goes into like an air conditioning system or into a humidifier and then that mist is sprayed and then you contract it that way so you don't get it from kissing a legionnaire (sighs) safe for another week not anymore. Um, <laughs> but uh, Legionnaire's disease uh, was blamed for killing at least 12 people right after this whole debacle began in Flint uh, in 2014 when they switched the water source to the Flint River. So it's not it's not unheard of. It, it's been linked to bet- between eight and nine cases annually, and it's treatable. It's like I said, it's a severe type of pneumonia, but if you're hospitalized and you receive treatment, it is treatable. But this is a special instance because, you know, we're talking about Flint here. The hospital that has reported the most recent case this past Tuesday, uh, which is September 6th, followed all of the state's protocols and let the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services know that they had a case of Legionnaires in the hospital. But that's it. One of the important reasons for notifying authorities about that is to then trace the movements of the individual who's contracted it. As we said, it's Legionnaires breeds in still water sources, so that water source is very likely to still be there, uh, often in water storage tanks on the roof of a building, is what I remember from, from my youth growing up, hearing news articles where it was referenced as that. So it's then important to trace those movements, to trace the source of that infection, to then try and prevent anybody else from being infected. Or, or even letting people know that it's going on and, and checking people who might have milder uh, symptoms to figure out what's going on with them. 
the issue here is that because the hospital is in the county that Flint is in, there's an active court order that's prohibiting any hospital in that county to report the status of any waterborne illness to the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services until the state's attorney general can get through any potential Flint water related charges that could potentially be brought forward. Well, that makes all the sense in the world, doesn't it? Well, yeah. So while the Flint water investigative team does its job, there's this potential source for Legionnaire's disease that's just going unchecked out there because litigation. Yay. (laughs) Oh, Flint, you never cease to amaze us. Disappoint us continually. Not the people, but the politics. Yeah. So, as with everything in Flint, we'll let you know what we find coming up next. I wonder if there's any general measures that people can take. I mean, is just wearing a face mask, you know, a, a, like a surgical mask, enough to prevent infection? Do we know? I'm not. I'm not sure the the particulate size of the bacteria. I think the bigger issue is not knowing not having the reporting of where this person contracted it. You know, it, I mean, you can assume that it's by their home, but you don't know where the, where in Flint, you know. The people of Flint are being told as much as I just told you, that somebody within their community, seven somebodies within their community, have contracted Legionnaire's disease. And if their news source is as good as us, zeesh. Well, yeah, our reporting is coming, again, from the Detroit Free Press, which has been amazing through all of this um and and our primary source for a lot of our information but yeah it's a mess right well maybe we can find some resources on the web on how to prevent the contraction of legionnaires and put it in the show notes and if we can't then i'm going to cut this part from the article (laughs) (laughs) i'm reading real quick yeah they're just it's the the article's just saying what, what it clusterfuck it is that the hospital's not allowed to report anything else so moving on moving on main story dakota access pipeline I'm sure all of our fine listeners have uh, been aware of the news recently about the Dakota Access Pipeline. It's a really big national story, and it's something that, uh, you know, Rob and I have felt that has not gotten enough press coverage. And we also are smart enough to know that we do not have a clue (laughs) on what's really going on. So we have decided it's in everyone's best interest to reach out to a professional for some assistance on this topic. Uh, Rob and I found and would like to introduce to you all uh, our guest this episode, Nikishna Palikwaptua. He is a Hopi tribal member, CEO of Advancing Communities LLC, and the former director of American Indian Resource Center. Welcome, Nikishna. Hi, good evening, how are you? We are very well, and we are beyond delighted that you are taking time out to help us understand the issues 
involved in this because they are many and they are complex and from some of the conversations you and I have had before this you are the person that we need to explain this to us and to a lot of other people who don't get it Um, not because they're necessarily stupid but because it's just never been fully explained. Well it's a very complex issue It, it requires a good understanding of history as far as politics, economics, environmental science so i'm really glad you reached out and especially you know just for giving native people a voice i'd like to start out by introducing myself in a traditional way uh, is my hopi name and i'm uh, badger and spider clans from the kokotsmove village in northeastern arizona that is beautiful i love it <laughs> um yeah, I, I'm speechless. How did you, how did you do this, Rob? He <laughs> uh, writes really well. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, just as a bit of background, I was reading up on this issue, and I came across an article on, uh, I'll see if I can find bring the website back up. Indians.com? Yes, I believe that was the one. Thank you. And there was a, a number of comments that were, varying degrees of informative and then Unikishna had written a couple of paragraphs first of all to make a strong point and then to respond to some other comments and it was the strength and clarity of what you'd written that was so good that uh, I felt compelled to reach out to you to say okay I have to know more from your point of view and so today Friday has been a very busy day for this and there's been activity for the uh, I don't even know how long this has really been going on it's what a couple of weeks at least Um, at least in terms of active protests on the site am I correct in that it's been a little bit longer since April uh, people have been camping out in the Dakota Access Pipeline uh, protest area now I feel miserable in my ignorance Um, no you're actually right that I guess some of the press and uh, the social media presence has really come about in the last few weeks as, as well as the the population of uh, water protectors swelling from you know a few hundred to a few thousand um, has happened in the last few weeks. And that really brings it to bear. I know that um, Jill Stein was out there, which was, uh, I'm not sure how much was in t- intended to bring attention to the, the issue itself and how much was intended to uh, promote her own um, presidential campaign. Um, it may be an equal mix. It definitely was an equal mix. I'd say a lot of the people on the ground weren't too happy about her, her showing up. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, it's a double-edged sword. You know, when you have a presidential candidate come to an event, it definitely does have the potential to bring more mainstream media, which is great. The problem is, although she got kind of got caught up in the moment, you know, maybe in a group of people mm-hmm. um, tagging and, and spray painting the bulldozers. Um, what the main protest organizers were trying to do is keep it peaceful and lawful mm-hmm. and not give the law enforcement any reason to um, crack down on, on the protest. So the spray painting ended up being the main story versus Jill Stein bringing attention to what the water protectors were trying to do. In her defense, spray painting a bulldozer does have a long and proud tradition of bringing a bulldozer to a complete and grinding halt. <laughs> Uh, oh, was, wait, my mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did see that there were some stories earlier this week, too, about um, 
some conflicts that did happen um, between the protesters and the police that were on site, some incidences with uh, pepper spray and uh, the security dogs actually attacking people. Correct. That was a really awful incident. So, and the way it kind of happened was actually because the tribal members and, and the Standing Rock Sioux Nation tried to follow the rules and do proper protocol and filed a lawsuit against the Dakota Access Pipeline Company and tried to do it through the rule of law, um, that wasn't really going anywhere. And then on Friday, they were the, the company said that they didn't provide enough sufficient evidence to prove that there were sacred sites in the area and they didn't identify where those sites were. So on Friday, they filed the paperwork with um, affidavit and identifying those locations. And this is for, last, last Friday, the second? Last, last Friday. And the very next okay. morning, within 12 hours, not only did the company you know, break from their work days and, and come in on a Saturday morning because they didn't work on the weekends, but they just brought in a bunch of bulldozers and started plowing over the land and the sites and the evidence that would have um, protected the tribe and their access to that resource. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I've seen some pictures and it just looks like, uh, I mean, it, it looks like they're bulldozing an area to put a jet, like a highway and it's this huge wide swath that's just been, uh, I don't know, maybe the top foot of topsoil's just been plowed off. Saturday is really awful. Not only did a private corporation defy the law, abuse uh, legal proceedings and co uh, confidential privileged information provided in affidavit for a lawsuit, they used that, that geolocation information to bulldoze and destroy, you know, centuries-old um, sacred sites that would have protected the tribal interests. So they in used order... that specifically to target those areas. It wasn't just that they were bulldozing in a straight line and went over it. It was that they targeted those areas to try and remove any evidence. Correct. And what they did Holy is they moly. moved their they moved their bulldozers 20 miles away from their construction zone to get to that location to bulldoze it over. I didn't okay, realize so I... that at all. Oh my god. So, so here's another question: uh, Is um. I'm going to phrase this as delicately as I know how. How the hell has this remained as peaceful as it has? Because, I mean, if somebody was to, I, one equivalency that I saw was the idea of if somebody was to try and drive a bulldozer through Arlington to put a pipeline through there, or at least a couple of miles. Can you imagine the the ruckus <laughs> that there would be if they moved bulldozers 20 miles from one location to another just to get that part done? There would be people with RPGs to take those things out, let alone just, you know, dugs and pepper spray to guards against people, peaceful protesters. That's correct. And I think that goes back to the historical aspect. American Indian people are well aware of the repercussions of, of standing up to corporations and, and to standing up to the United States government. And when and back in the 60s, when they had the real big American Indian movement protests and taking over Alcatraz Island and and protecting other sites to get these laws that we're trying to enforce today, like the uh, National Historic Preservation Act and, and the Native American Graves and Repatriation Act. And these are the laws and the sites that we're protecting is because of those laws. Mm -hmm. But when they did it in the past and they weren't as peaceful and they stood up and they had guns and they fought and they spray painted things, they brought in the United States military to remove people and kill people and shot people and surround them with the military. So when you look at today, 
what's happened is the North Dakota state governor uh, brought in the National Guard um, in, in preparation for the decision that was going to be made today. So anytime a bunch of Indians gather, uh, it freaks the government out and they bring in the military. But that's the way it's been the whole time that <laughs> there have been white people on the continent, pretty much. You guys, you know, the, the white people tend to confront natives with uh, force rather than compassion. Yeah, and I wouldn't even necessarily say as white people because there's a lot of white people on the ground, a lot of people from all different ethnicities um, protecting these sacred sites and, and protesting the pipeline right now. I'd say it's power. Um, the issue here is the the fuel for power is money and people are trying to protect their profits and that's how those corporations and the government works mm -hmm. politicians stay in power because of campaign contributions mm -hmm. individuals generally don't make enough con campaign contributions to quote unquote matter so when these corporations want something or you know are pushing for something they pay long, for a politician that's correct yes and we, we've certainly seen that side of it and um laughed at the idea that uh, politicians should wear sponsor logos like NASCAR drivers when they <laughs> when they turn up on Senate, you know, the big shell logo on the back of some asshole that wanders down to make some point in their defense. Um, that would well, be helpful. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let me ask you this, Nikishna. On Tuesday, there was the emergency temporary restraining order hearing um, where they, they stopped working I guess they got to review the same documents that, you know, ultimately give a big arrow to the construction company for where it'll bulldoze. And then we heard today on the 9th that um, the court dismissed it. Do you know why they dismissed it today? So it happened on, on Friday, they delivered the documents which outlined specifically where those sacred sites were. Mm -hmm. That was the legal ammo that the tribe had to protect those sites and to stop this pipeline. When the company got that information, they destroyed that evidence. And when they destroyed the evidence, the protesters and, and the water protectors knew that and they went and put their lives and their bodies on the line. They stood in front of the bulldozers and the company not only um, – had a, a private security force there to pepper spray the protesters, but they had attack dogs, which mm -hmm. we haven't seen since the 1960s in the yeah. civil rights movement. Yeah. And those those dogs weren't just there to bark at people. They literally bit people, I think six individuals. Yeah, one of them was a, a kid, yeah. One, one was a little girl, one was a pregnant woman. Um, it was just vicious and awful. The, people, the, the water protectors were standing there in a line and the private security force were, were smacking the back of the dog to push them forward to attack the protesters. And they even let the dogs loose into the crowd, which were they were going and biting people. It's on private property at that point. So that's what they're that's what they're shouting. All the reports I've been seeing is, you know, they're they're on private property. Therefore, since the people who own the private property, i.e. the easement for the line they're the ones that have the control and they're they called the security force in and uh the protesters were technically trespassing which is i think on the surface true but because of what happened in the 1960s and the laws that they fought for back in the previous american indian movement there's something called the american indian religious freedom act which gives 
tribal members legal right and passage to these sacred sites and to these areas. I haven't heard anybody else cite it yet, mm -hmm. but they do have the legal ability to visit and to uh, perform ceremonies and to, to visit these areas. So they legally weren't trespassing if you look at all aspects of the law. Hmm. I wonder if the DOJ and the, the DOI uh, kind of know that and uh, that it plays part of their uh, ruling today. Yeah, well, there's two things that happen as well. So as of today, the um, licensing board um, that controls, uh, that regulates private security forces in the state is also doing an opening investigation because of the handling of that Tuesday or the Saturday um, conflict with the water protectors and the dogs. And it was just improper. So there's mm -hmm. an investi open investigation happening now. And the temporary restraining order hearing was an, on Tuesday was an emergency TRO meeting because of what happened on Saturday. It was so unprecedented and so just baffling and uncalled for and blatant that it granted a, an emergency hearing on Tuesday. Gotcha. All right. Well, w with all of this stuff that's been going on recently, I feel like we need to take, kind of take a step back. You've been mentioning um, water protectors and with this being, you know, uh, a gas pipeline or I guess a, uh, oil pipeline. Crude oil. Yeah. Um, what, I mean, are the water protectors like the groundwater protectors? Are they just kind of like environmentalists in general? What, what is, uh, some of the other stuff that's going on with this, uh, you know, pipeline in general? So the biggest issue that people are concerned about is, and, it, and it's not just tribal members that are bringing up this issue. The original pathway of this pipeline was supposed to go a few miles north of the of the capital in Bismarck. The community there, the mayor and residents, you know, realized, hey, this could endanger our water supply, and this is just too dangerous to have so close to a metropolitan area. And this is a, a buried pipeline. It's not like the ones we see up in Alaska. It's above ground. This is a buried one. Correct. It's buried. But, you know, the non-native you know, residents realized it was a hazard and they had the the pathway moved to about a half mile to north, um, a number of miles. And then it ended up being about a half mile north of the Standing Rock Sioux Reservation. So it's not OK for them, but it's OK for the Indians. Mm. You know, nobody's worrying about them. And the tribal people, you know, not only realize that this is a danger for their water supply, but they don't have a recourse and, and other water supplies to utilize. They understand that water is life, and without water, life can't exist. So and it's not. not and, and with any pipeline, it's not a question of if it's going to leak, it's a case of when it's going to leak. Mm -hmm. Correct. And when it does, it's always disastrous. And no matter how hard you try to clean up or how much money you put in, it never goes back to the pristine. Um, condition that used to be in before yeah mm -hmm. yeah I, I think that um dan and i are both on the same page where we oppose fracking for the same issues that you're disturbing the the ground beneath the water courses and you've no idea truly what you're doing to the structure below ground and how the undocumented chemicals that are being pumped in there are going to then interact with any supply, of the strata yeah. below and if they well more a case of when they eventually reach the groundwater how that's going to affect everybody else i mean we've 
seen limited issues of how just small amounts of chemicals can have devastating effects. Well, it's not uh, only that, but look at, I mean, the sheer increase in numbers of earthquakes in Oklahoma since the fracking mm-hmm. has gone wild there. I mean, that's insane. And, uh, you know, you're disrupting the, the, you're forcing water into layers of earth where it doesn't belong and, and you're disrupting the natural, you know, the natural lay of the land. And it's, all of it is contamination or, you know, well, Diana, I think you're hitting on a bigger point. And for tribal people in general, what we know is uh, something people say, mitakiasi, you know, all things, all my relations, we're all related. Mm-hmm. Yes. And everything's interrelated. So when we're just talking about water, we're not just talking about water. You know, tribal people reserve the right to hunting and fishing and subsist, um, subsistence living. So, you know, if the water's contaminated, how are we going to fish? Where mm-hmm. are the animals going to come to drink mm-hmm. to hunt? You know, right now in the encampment, People are bringing, you know, their their natural foods to these uh, camps, and they're hunting, and they're fishing, and they're they're living off the land in some ways. And if you can't live off the land, then you have to import all that, and that increases costs. And and for Sioux tribes and tribes in general, they suffer from the most impoverished communities in this country. Mm-hmm. And it also have takes sev- away from them their way of life. Yes, it's so uh, important. Uh, have you happened to um, read a book? Uh, by Neil Shubin called You're in a Fish. I haven't read that yet, no. Um, the reason I mention it is that to me it's one of the, most, it's one of the best non-fiction books I've ever read. And it, it ties into your point about water is life and everything is related. And that um, <clears throat> he relays in there the essentially the history of evolution and how it can be seen in DNA. And you can look at the left and right handedness of the way that DNA works. And if you look at something as simple genetically as a sea anemone, that it actually, against all appearance, has a spine. Um, It has a part from which it turns left and which it turns right. That in later, um, more evolved animals becomes where the spinal column and the spinal cord runs. But you can see it all the way back then. And so it it then goes on to relate how um, every living organism on Earth is at some point related, be it an oak tree to an elephant to us, to a dolphin, to a sea anemone. All of those have a common ancestor. All of them are dependent on the same resources for life. And I think there is a failure by some people who are committed to the the exploitation of fossil fuels and mineral resources to understand and appreciate that and that what we do to one part of the environment we're essentially doing to all of it and including ourselves and while you may be physically removed from it in terms of the the health of the planet you're really not I think you're hitting another good point which is the way tribal people see you know the resources we feel that we have a responsibility, and that responsibility is to protect the resources and the animals and those that, mm-hmm. you know, that don't have the ability to protect themselves in that way, you know, whether it be the animals or the water or the air. And I think the way non-Native people see it, especially people, corporations that aren't real people, despite <laughs> <laughs> other Court people's beliefs. that say otherwise, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
where they see it as a commodity to be used and exploited, or just to you know it has no ramifications, and and that responsibility has um, ramifications. So you put your lives and your body and your you know economics at risk when you fight to protect it, and that's what these tribal people are doing. They are exercising that responsibility. And I think a lot of people beyond uh, them should be grateful for their efforts because it represents a, a larger struggle that should be paid attention to is the, the balance between the resources that the human population of the planet, in quotes, requires versus what we should and how we should be using them. Where Where is the balance point? Um, and I, I, don't, I don't know that I have too much of a political axe to grind on this because I'm not running for any particular office, but at the same time, uh, I, I do get the feeling that as a species on the planet, we are way out of balance. And that they, an understanding, a natural understanding of the intertwined nature of life and the interdependency of flora and fauna is vital to the long-term sustainability of the planet. And that is something that uh, the, the Native American tribes had a strong understanding of for a very long time. And other uh, peoples around the world have also had a similar understanding of, but has seemed to be remarkably vacant from philosophy in the West, as it may be regarded. Um, Europe over the past couple of hundred years from the Industrial Revolution onwards, from even from the Enclosures Act, if we want to go that far in British history, and uh, I don't want to go back too far <laughs> at this point, because I'm going to drag us all down into this wormhole, and I'm losing people. Yeah, um, yeah. Sorry. Capitalism is great. Capitalism, yay. Capitalism rocks, man. Yeah. Well, one of the interesting things is that people go along with things that are against their self-interest, because mm -hmm. for whatever reason... So this corporation is trying to push, you know, more fossil fuel, you know, availability, productivity, and saying it's a great thing for the economy. But really, it's going to be a detrimental thing for the economy overall. Mm -hmm. It costs more. It's, it pollutes the earth, which in, in turn is going to cost more again. There already are renewable energy resources that are available, and it's getting mm -hmm. stifled. You know, I'm here in Arizona right now, and solar energy is abundant. But mm -hmm. there's uh, a lot of laws passed that you can't put solar panels in your house without paying what? a $50 a month fee on top of an insulation thing. So it's all kinds Wait, of fees that what? make it. Yeah. 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 So it makes it cost prohibitive, even though. Who the it hell's makes, idea was that? It makes absolutely no sense. I think we no all sense. know whose idea it is. Sorry. <laughs> it, it, it has a little R in brackets behind it, doesn't it? Yeah, it yeah. does. And you think about the death of the. Um, light rail system in, in California where mm -hmm. they had a really good public transportation system, which would have been awesome for the amount of people that are there now. Why is it dead in favor of the automobile? Because the automobile industry, you know, paid off lobbyists and, and politicians to kill that industry. Mm -hmm. So, and people go along with it. So that's mm -hmm. what's crazy about it. Yeah. All right. I like well, let's, car, but let's... I live in New Hampshire. <laughs> <laughs> let's wrap this all back in together. Um, can Good you, luck. Can you summarize today's judgment? So today on the 9th, the uh, Department of Justice, Department of the Interior, and the Army Corps of Engineers um, gave a ruling that came right after the court's ruling 
um, that allowed them. So, so the local court said uh, the injunctions lifted. You guys can go back to work. We don't find any grounds for stopping your work. And then within five minutes, um, like I said, the DOJ, the DOI, and the uh, Army Corps of Engineers said, whoa, 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 whoa. Um, so is that a direct quote? That is how it was written. <laughs> I'm reading from the court document right now. Um, so can you give us just a little summary of so what, other than whoa, 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 what the document actually said and what it means for you guys going forward? So today was a really important day, and it had a whole roller coaster of ups and downs from you know the night before the National Guard being called in to basically monitor and be there in case any situation escalates with the ruling. I personally feel, and a lot of other people feel, that the ruling was already known to people, especially the governor and people calling in this many resources and additional mm -hmm. uh, police presence. Sure. So when the ruling came in that basically the injunction was denied, saying that the corporation could go forward with, with the pipeline, you know, it was very disappointing initially. But moments later, the uh, Department of Justice, the Department of the Interior, and the Army Corps of Engineers issued a joint statement saying that they are going to hold up the permits. And actually, interestingly enough, the company was doing the pipeline and never actually obtained all the permits to build this pipeline. So they were just kind of assuming that this is in the bag. <laughs> so because they have never been issued, the uh, Obama administration basically said, we're not going to issue those payments without looking back and seeing if all the pro procedures were uh, followed in order to issue these payments, which is what the judge ruled on. Now, the, uh, these permits that they applied for were not the typical permits that you would apply. Um, I know we were speaking a little bit earlier about the types of, you know, permits they were obtaining from the Army Corps were um, like minor work permits, not something that was really meant for a project of this scale. Yeah, so what the uh, Army Corps can do with their permitting system is they control like the public lands that they'll go through, the waterways, the rivers. Most of the pipeline goes through private lands, mm -hmm. and that's why they've been able to do as much as they have. But eventually they have to go through public lands. So when we go through public lands, they need to follow federal laws and you know go through those procedures with consultation with tribes, and that's what hasn't happened. And they had a fast pass, to, and that's one of the things that the government is really looking into, is why were they granted a fast pass on such a huge project? You know, what's really going on here? And not only were they fast passing the whole project, but they really just didn't even follow the process of consultation and getting feedback, and there was opposition. I heard from one of the tribes that they asked to, they had a pre-hearing meeting where they're going to talk about what's going to be discussed, mm -hmm. and then... I guess the Army Corps just said, oh, that was the consultation. I was like, what? <laughs> what? We, yeah, they they never actually held the, the full consultation meeting. They just had, like, we're going to have a meeting pretty soon. This is what, what it's going to be about. And they never followed up. And then they just came out with the final environmental assessment, the EA, uh, yeah. EIS report. Yeah, I mean, I, I work in land development, and, and um, the county that I work in is – right along the Chesapeake Bay. So I'm familiar with the, dealing with the Army Corps of Engineers and public public hearings and things like that. And, you know, we've got, 
you know, we have to have a notice period for anybody who's within like a half a mile that could be affected by the, any project. I mean, you know, if I'm putting a gas station in, I need to let everybody who lives within 200 feet of the project know of a meeting. We have to have a public meeting at a time that's uh, reasonable, quote unquote, um, you know, when people could be out of work and get there. We then have to have minutes. We have to have a follow-up submitted. I mean, this is just at the county level. This isn't even dealing with the state. Um, so the fact that when you get to the federal level, these things can be overlooked on tribal land is astounding to me. Yeah, and that's because there's a long history of, you know, the government exercising their right as the trustee of tribal lands to and work with corporations to exploit, you know, natural resources and create easements for corporations to do that. So there's actually a Cobell um, settlement that recently happened where it's the largest settlement in U.S. history because the government mishandled that type of relationship of being a trustee of resources and selling land or, or mineral resources for pennies on the dollar. So I guess my, my last question is, a couple of years ago, five years ago, ten years ago, the, the big talk was the the um, Keystone XL pipeline. And then this pipeline has really come in pretty under the radar. This is really the first, you know, the last month, um, like Rob said earlier, is really the first time I know I had heard anything of it. And even that was just kind of like, oh, they're, they're putting a pipeline across tribal land. Okay. Um, and, and that was it. It wasn't anywhere near this level of detail um what's how did they i guess what's the big difference between this pipeline and, and the keystone xl pipeline it's pretty similar actually and when you think about it it's very strategic on uh, the corporate entity side because if one thing fails and okay well we'll just re repackage it and rename it something else because it really follows the same pathway it's only a few hundred miles shorter than the original Keystone XL pipeline length. It, it travels, you know, halfway across the country, you know, through four states. Um, it's really interesting. And, and it's some of the same arguments as well. Like, oh, it's going to create jobs. Oh, it's yeah. going to provide more uh, um, gas and, you know, re Energy uh, fossil fuels. independence for America. Yeah, but the interesting but it's thing be is, none of those. Yeah. just like Keystone, it goes to the Gulf where it's going to be exported. Right. So, right. <laughs> just well, like the jokes. And the other thing that's yeah, always amazing to me, they're going to create so many jobs. No, they're going to do construction, and then where are those jobs going to go? Construction is a temporary job. It's not like it's Correct. a permanent job where someone's going to sit there and dig and dig and dig and dig and have that job forever. That's great. You don't go back to the beginning of the pipeline and start laying new pipe to replace the old straight away. Well, it's not like painting the fourth bridge. <laughs> That's a reference for Scottish listeners. Yeah, and going back to what um, what Rob was saying earlier, it's, it's not if it's not it's not if it, the pipeline breaks, it's when because mm -hmm. it breaks all the time. Any infrastructure project requires maintenance over time, and yep. if you're focusing on profits, you're not going to go and fix every you know hole. You're going to let it leak for a while until somebody complains about it. And if nobody complains about it, you're going to let it keep going until it gets bad enough where you absolutely have to fix it. Or if it's a big enough uh, explosion or spill where you can't hide it, and then you have to go and clean it up. See, see the D.C. metro situation. WMATA yeah. has done zero maintenance on that, and now they're having to go through massive shutdowns to try and even get it functional. So 
yay public projects. Yeah, and if you want to look at an analogy, if anybody has ever lived in a house before and, <laughs> been... <laughs> and have ever had to deal with plumbing issues, you know, you go to fix the faucet here and they realize, oh, this other problem here, and oh, it's in the wall, and oh, I got to go under the house. And they go into the house, and you're like, oh, crap, there's all these other leaky, you know, pipes. That's yeah. just the nature of how things happen. Corrosion yeah. happens. Yeah. And if you think about it, a massive scale with over a half a million barrels of oil flowing every day through this pipeline, that's, you know, going to cause a lot more damage than just a little dripping pipes. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at any major city, the water main breaks that happen weekly or uh, sinkholes. I mean, that's storm drain maintenance not happening. You know, it's... Or it may have been leaking for a while to have caused that void to have opened up around it, which right. it then conveniently occupies. Yeah. And unlike the federal government or government projects, um, private corporations aren't required to disclose when a leak happens or when something happens, and you know they're not going to. Right. So there's probably <laughs> a lot more uh, spills and leaks that happen that they you know, deal with quietly or mm -hmm. pay off the landowner if they need to because it's co more cost-effective, and there's no record of that. Nikishna, I'm, I'm not sure how long we've occupied your time for this evening. I think that there are a lot more topics that would be of benefit to cover in the future. If we may, we would look to, to come back to you uh, to explore some more of the points that are relative uh, and, well, of import initially to the Native American community, but then will become relevant to the population of the U.S. as a whole later on. Because, I mean, if they can get away with it there, they're going to get away with it here. And, yeah, you know, sooner or later, they're trying to get away with it everywhere. Uh, if you're if you're willing, maybe we'll do another uh, longer form, maybe even a special episode delving into some of the issues that you feel uh, uh, we should be more aware of. I mean, we, we were blissfully unaware of the Dakota Access Pipeline for far too long. What else are we not aware of that you could shed some light on for us and for for those that are listening to us? Absolutely. Really like to talk to you in more depth about just the fallout from everything that happened uh, up in Oregon with the the um, Bundy. yeah the lunatics all the, <laughs> both, both the places that the Bundys have decided that they uh, were going to return to the cattle as they were apparently the original land users there I think this is but the beginning here if you're willing to come back and talk with us absolutely I guess in closing one of the things I like to share and, and thinking about and the takeaways from this whole, you know, thing that had happened is, you know, there's always balance in the world. And although there was negative things that happened with the pipeline and negative rulings that had happened, what it did, and most importantly, is it brought the community back together. It brought tribes together. It brought the seven, you know, nations and the uh, Sioux nations together for the first time, you know, in decades. This is the largest Native American gathering in 100, 150 years. Um, this solidarity is unprecedented. It shows that, you know, the American Indian movement from the 1960s isn't dead. It was just dormant and it's mm -hmm. coming back together. They went from a few hundred protesters to over 4,000 protesters in a matter of weeks. Wow. Coming from all across the country, coming from Alaska, Hawaii, every stretch of every state. Um, and some of these communities don't have a lot of money. They scraped together and did savings and, and just pulled whatever resources they could. And that power of people is why there was the joint um, statement from the Obama administration to, to go beyond 
the court ruling and to put a stop to this pipeline on federal lands. It's because of the people. So I'm so proud of our, our water protectors, our community members for coming together, our tribal sovereignty being exercised, and just thank you for the community and shows like yours uh, putting the light on such an important issue. From our point of view, um, you're entirely welcome. We are, uh, I think, one of the smallest fish in this pond. <laughs> but we have a little voice, and we wanted yours to be heard. And as I said at the outset, we are both incredibly grateful that you extended us your time to talk to us about this and to expound on some of the points that I don't think either of us have heard elsewhere uh, and wouldn't have done without your insight. So, yeah, I'm... <laughs> humbled is the word you're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, humbled. And also, uh, I think, uh, in the end, with what we'll have done with this episode, once I've edited it to, together for uh, for content and so on, yeah, I, this was very worthwhile, and I thank you, really thank you for it. I appreciate your time as well. All right, well, everybody... Um... We will have links to Nikishna's, is it a company? What is the? It's a company. So I, I, when I left the university, I worked for a private corporation, and that was no good. <laughs> <I didn't>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Avanti Communities is a for-profit corporation, but it serves community interests. We also have the Avanti Communities Foundation, which is um, runs projects for people who can't afford our services. So we try to do both and, and have a community focus and, we serve tribes and non-tribal communities and organizations across the country. Well, great. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much for uh, coming on with us. Thank you. Have a good night. All right. You too. You too. Cheers. Thank you. That was um, that was a lot more in an episode than I thought it was going to be. That was amazing. Uh, yes, um, from us both, Diana and I, and Nikishna, thank you very much for having spent the time with us this evening and earlier in the week, so that we could um, get acclimatized to each other and understand where everybody's going to be coming from. We really, really appreciate it. Um, He's a busy guy with a wife and family. And so while we do this every other week, this was new to him. And we really do appreciate the time he took to explain to us in depth uh, some of the issues that are pertinent right now. And then the other issues surrounding that. Um, and we have extended an invitation to Nikishna to come back in later episodes, maybe in a special, maybe in a regular episode, depending what the need is. Uh, to talk to us more in depth about that. So we look forward to that. So We're going to uh, put contact information for Nikishna up on our website. Um, you can get in touch with him through his company, Advancing Communities, LLC. Um, that information, along with all of our other show notes, episodes, uh, can be found at www.radio-podcast.net. You can also get contact information for Rob and myself, email addresses, um, and the link to our Facebook page. And there's, we also have a Twitter account, I believe. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not hip with the, the young the young folk. Apparently uh, but... neither am I. Um, 
but, but, but you're but you're, you're you're the side you're the you're the face of the radio podcast because you're prettier and you know how to talk to people and is stuff. that what I do is that okay well if you would like to twit at us <laughs> we are at underscore radio podcast all one word um I am very bad at it but I do get the notifications so I will do my best to be better at it. Um, so I think, uh, from myself, from Rob, from Nikishna, and from our dear friend, Mr. Secord, uh, we are going to say goodnight for now. And Mr. Secord, will you please play us out? Bye.